Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. It's been a week since the 2022 midterm election, and more and more data is pouring in about who voted for who and how it split between parties, Republicans and Democrats. Latest data shows that Gen Z voted Democrat by a 28% margin. So what can the Republican Party do to win over more of Gen Z? Welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Midterms are over. It's been a week. More and more data is coming in. More and more is being revealed to us about how each cohort, each demographic voted in these past elections. And the one that I'm focusing on in this episode is Gen Z. Now, if you've been following the podcast for any length of time, you may have picked up on the fact that Gen Z is, is a group, is the generation that I'm focused on. I am a millennial, <clears throat> Generation Y, but I have had multiple Gen Z guests on the podcast. And also Gen Z is growing as you know, a percentage of the voting population in this country. Baby boomers are the largest, but you know, they are getting to the age where they are phasing out as they are reaching their um, late 60s, 70s. And I think the oldest of the baby boomers are now creeping up to 80 years old. But Gen Z is is growing. Gen Z is 1997 to 2012. So they range anywhere from 25 years old all the way down to, to 10 years old. And those 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, all the way up to 17-year-olds, they will be voting in the next election. And well, not all of them, but they will be voting in 2024, you know, 2026, 2028. So Gen Z is very important. And Gen Z is unlike any other voting population, more closest to millennials like myself. But Gen X, you know, baby boomers, they are different than Gen Z. And in episode 43, I had a wonderful guest, Noelle Pullen. Um, I'm going to have her on in the near future. But she and I talked about Gen Z conservatives, Gen Z and the conservative movement. One of the things we talked about in that episode was what can the GOP, the Republican Party, do to um, win over or to be more appealing to Gen Z? Because Gen Z, some stats about them. Gen Z, again, born in 1997 to between 2012. Gen Z consists of 68 million people based on the 2020 census, which is 21% of the U.S. population. Gen Z is also, in the 2020 election, was 10% of eligible voters. And of Gen Z, only 31% are Republicans. Now, as I said in the open, Gen Z, it's coming out, the data is showing that Gen Z voted Democrat over Republican by a 28-point margin. So we're talking about, you know, like a, a 72 
to was that 44 split as an example so what can the republican party do to bring more of gen z to be part of the republican party again going back to episode 43 with with noel we talked about this and one of the things i brought up to her in that episode was the fact that there was a um an editorial that I had read leading up to that episode from the New York Post. It was written by a Gen Z college student, and the writer summarized the Republican Party as how it can appeal to Gen Z in this way. Quote, the GOP should work on rebranding as the modern, reasonable, solutions-oriented party. And that's key. Reasonable, solution-oriented party. And I'll get to that in a second of why that's so critical to the Republican Party and Gen Z moving forward. But first, again, I've, Gen Z is very important to me. Gen Z is doing a lot of wonderful things. The Gen Z conservatives are fantastic and doing fantastic things for the party. It is very encouraging to see so many young individuals you know, coming of age into adulthood, being young adults, young business professionals, and teenagers and everything, and speaking up and standing up for their values getting involved in politics, getting involved in the culture and trying to move it forward, advance it forward for the good of our country. That is something I did not, I did not do when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, early twenties. I started following politics, I guess, when I got to college. So I'd have been 18 years old, but I definitely wasn't doing anything at 16. I had a guest, um, Anna Morris, the wake up conservative in episode 66. And she is way younger than I was when I started following politics. And then I had Nikki or Red Girl in a Blue World. She was episode 64. Again, another conservative female, just like Anna, speaking out, doing wonderful things, you know, in her own podcast, in their own podcast for Gen Z conservatives. And then Erica Holzer was episode 59. And we talked about education in that episode. So that's four episodes that I've dedicated, you know, with, with a Gen Z guest. And then I've had some just solos by myself talking about cultural things that are important to Gen Z and not just Gen Z, but the conservative movement as a whole. But the Republican party, this is one area, this is one area where they continue to miss. And, and I talk about this in a couple other episodes. So the Republican party to me can be very dismissive of certain issues, certain issues that stretch across party lines. And they can be very black and white. And to me, I believe the Republican Party needs to have a little bit or a lot more gray. And also come across as a little more compassionate when it comes to certain things. A couple of those issues that stretch across party lines, climate change or global warming, however you want to phrase it. It used to be climate change and and now it's global warming. You know, it flips how however it, it needs to flip, you know, based on based on the year. But climate change, student debt forgiveness, um, pediatric transgender surgery, and abortion laws. To me, those are four that stretch across party lines. I dedicated an entire episode about student debt forgiveness. And in that episode, I talked about how the Republican Party comes off as cold and heartless their talking point and even the pundits you know not just not just those who are running for office or the leaders within the GOP 
or those are the, the leaders in, of the RNC, they all come across as cold. The messaging comes across as cold and heartless, in my opinion. For student debt forgiveness, the argument is, you know, that uh, that um, gender studies is not going to get you a job that's going to pay for your $80,000, $100,000 worth of debt that you racked up by going to some liberal art school that cost you 30, 40 grand a year. You know, that that's not that's not the right talking point. I myself in that episode and on other instances, like on my Instagram lives and other things like that, have talked about my current student debt situation. I didn't I didn't go to school, you know, some private school and get a gender studies degree or an art degree or something like that. I got a sport management degree, which is basically a business degree for sports. And then I got a master's in hindsight. Probably didn't need the master's, but I was graduating undergrad during the 2008 um, recession. And I remember reading an article saying like, hey, you know, if you're ever going to go get an advanced degree, now be the time to do it. And I was like, hey, this is a way to separate myself from others who graduating with a bachelor's. So jobs aren't that great right now. I'm going to go get an advanced degree. Okay. But that's not like a gender studies degree in sports because of the demand and everything. If you, it's very low paying low paying job. I don't work in sports anymore, but just to say, Oh, you know, everyone who has no one, anyone who needs student debt forgiveness isn't a Republican, you know, they're not concerned about that. They don't need that relief. This is just all these, you know, crazy liberals who are in their twenties and early thirties and stuff like that, who got these, you know, valueless, pointless degrees at a private institution and racked up a hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt. Well, no, that's not, that's not the case. And when the messaging is like that from the Republican Party and the Republican pundits, it does no good. Student loan forgiveness stretches across party lines. There are kids like myself on the right who have student loans and it has been a, a burden, you know, trying to set up their their future, family, their financial situation, all of that. So that's just that's just one example. The Republican Party seems to be dismissive and and black and white, like either you need it or you don't. And they need to sprinkle in some gray. The messaging that comes from the comes from the Republican Party needs to be more of understanding, you know, empathy. Show some show some heart. Don't don't come across as as cold and just like so uh, too bad, so sad. You know, you get what you get. Don't put your fit kind of attitude. Be more um, understanding. The messaging, for an example, of student loan forgiveness should be okay. We may not agree with the forgiveness aspect, especially forgiveness coming from the federal government, even though it is the federal government that created the problem. Let's focus on the solution. The messaging should be more of, hey, for student loan forgiveness, let's go after the colleges, the universities who have, I think the current estimate is about 700 billion with a B billion dollars in endowments across the country that are not taxed, not taxed, tax them, right? You tax them, use that tax money and then use that tax money in forgiveness, change the system, change the way student loans are, are given out, distributed and approved. Take the federal government out of that. Make these institutions, these colleges, universities have skin in the game, right? Talk about a solution. Going back to that quote 
that I read a, a few minutes ago from that New York Post editorial. The Republican Party should work on rebranding as the modern, reasonable, solutions-oriented party. Reasonable, solutions-oriented party. Offer solutions. When it comes to climate change or global warming, don't just say, ah, this is a bunch of, this is a bunch of crap. You know, don't buy into everything that you're being told. You know, California is doing crazy things over there with outlawing new, um, <clears throat> new fossil fuel, new gas powered vehicles by, I think it's 20, 2032 or something like that from being sold in their state. Don't just say like, oh, black and white again, you know, heartless. No, sometimes you'll hear it from the Republican party. You'll hear, you know, we need to, we need to have an honest conversation we need to talk about, okay, you know, maybe we need to move away from fossil fuels, move away from gas, move, you know, all of that and embrace electric at the same time. Even Elon Musk, you know, Tesla, the leader in electric vehicles has said the United States is not set up to just do, you know, a cold stop, hard stop and shift completely to electric vehicles. The infrastructure isn't there. The resources aren't there yet. So let's have an honest conversation, a solutions-oriented conversation, and say, hey, we agree. We need to do better for the environment. One of the ways we can do better is X, Y, Z. But let's not just, you know, stop cold turkey. Let's, you know, cross over, phase one out while phasing another in. That would be a reasonable solutions-oriented discussion something that can actually be looked at and hopefully understood and be like, Oh, you know what? You know, this makes, this makes sense to me. You know, this, this, this is actually someone being honest and, and not just speaking because not just dismissing something because they don't agree with it. Let's find an honest solution. And then when it comes to other topics, such as I mentioned, pediatric transgender surgeries, you know, I, I'm not saying to, um, I'm not saying to like, just, not stand on your principles, on your morals, on your values, anything like that. I'm not saying just throw those to the wayside, but there are topics that stretch across party lines, um, issues that stretch across party lines that need to have these solutions oriented discussions like pediatric trans transgender surgery. I don't believe any of these children should be having surgery, but instead of just taking that stance as a Republican Republicans and the pundits and the, um, the elected officials and those who will be running for office in the future, I would suggest they're, the way they should speak about it should be, you know, I don't believe that, you know, children, you know, under 18, right. Should be having these surgeries, but those who believe that they do need to have these surgeries, we need to have things put in place so that they can get the, the counseling and the mental health that they need to work through what is going on, gender dysphoria, you know, what, whatever else is going on psychologically before they're trying to make a, before they make or decide to make a life-changing decision. Let that be your talking point. Let that be the talking point. Don't say, you know, oh, we're just going to outlaw it, which I agree. Shouldn't be allowed, right? Under 18, shouldn't be allowed. But that shouldn't be the talking point. The talking point should focus more on how can we help these individuals because we've seen a recent upswing by I think like a 10x or maybe more um, like frequency popularity of, of this whole uh, like transgender mindset amongst 
children. But don't just be dismissive. Don't be black and white. Focus on a solution-oriented policy, a solution-oriented approach. And then another one with abortion laws. That is another one where, to me, I don't think you know, abortion should be legal, but it's now back to the states. That's what the Supreme Court decided. The timing of it from a political standpoint and a strategy standpoint before the midterms wasn't, didn't work out well for the Republican Party. The Republican Party underestimated, and even the polls underestimated, how much the turnout was going to be influenced by um, abortion and Roe v. Wade being overturned. You know, it data is showing that um, I think it's by like 70 to 30 percent. So like a 40 point, 40 point margin, single women between ages, I believe it was like 24 to 45 voted Democrat. And the leading issue in that instant or for that for that cohort, for that demographic is abortion and abortion laws. So the Republican Party, I would say that their stance should have been and then now moving forward should be focusing on this is for the states it's left up to the states and then that kind of gets you know the senators out of it if the senators can keep quiet and focuses more on your state uh congress and everything else your representatives and your state senators and your governor and then also if you are trying to be more of a moderate republican making sure and a lot of the states already have this in place but if you are going to say no to abortion, maybe your carve out is um, rape and incest, right? Right. But this is another topic, just like the other three, where you need to have a solutions oriented approach, not just come out guns blazing, you know, dropping the hammer down, saying like, no way, no how, have a solutions oriented approach that people can understand and make their decision upon. Because Gen Z, again, is going to continue to grow. Gen Z 1997, so 25 years old to 2012, just 10 years old. Right? 97, 25 to 10. A majority of the Gen Z population hasn't even voted yet. Has not even voted yet. So the Republican Party needs to get a message, a solutions-oriented message in place starting today. Starting today, they missed out for the 2022 midterms, which is which is um, not good, <laughs> not good. Um, but you know, moving forward, you got to look forward, right? You can't go back to the past. All you can do is learn from the past, and you got to keep moving forward. So for 2024, there has to be a solutions-oriented message, a solutions-oriented platform from the Republican Party that speaks to Gen Z. There is a big portion of Gen Z that is already locked in with the Republican Party. I mentioned that's 31% of those registered voters. But again, that is less than half of the Gen, of Gen Z who is able to vote. So as these younger ones come up, you know, that were born, uh, let me do some quick math. So they couldn't vote in 2022. So they had to be born from 2005 to 2012. You know, like that seven, that seven year gap or seven year range right there. What are they going to be interested in? What is going to matter to them? Need to stay in tune with Gen Z and get the messaging in line with them because they're going to continue to grow and be a larger and larger voting block moving forward. So Republicans, again, they need to spell out their solutions. 
And the solutions need to have some gray, not just be black and white. And one thing I believe, this is a, a theory of mine. Um, one reason why you saw a lot of Gen Z, and also this goes into, again, that the single women, believe, believe it was between ages 20 and 45, and a lot of independents, more independents voted for Democrats than Republicans. I believe whenever certain things, certain things such as transgenderism, student debt for student debt forgiveness, um, abortion laws, whenever you are taking something away or it is perceived that you are taking something away, voters are, or just even if you aren't a voter, taking this outside of politics, outside of elections, if someone is trying to take something away from you that you believe is rightfully yours, you are more likely to dig in and fight to preserve that right, that belonging, that thing that you believe you own than if it is not threatened to be taken away. And coming back into the politics, what I mean, and for elections, what I mean is, you know, you could, 70% of people say they don't like the way the country is going. You would expect there would have been a lot more Republicans um, voted into office because the Democrats are currently in power, you know, on the, on the federal, federal level. But we didn't see that in the 2022 midterms. So what does that tell me? That tells me, I believe, that whenever you look at the certain issues, if something was threatened to be taken away, a voter will sacrifice, and I talked about this a couple episodes ago, single issue voters, things like that, or people like that, that if something is being threatened to taken away, it will trump, it will override the other issues that are bothering those same voters that might have taken them to vote for the other party, you know, so a Democrat wanting to vote Republican because maybe they don't like the economy, they don't like the crime. But if you are threatening to take a, a right, what is perceived to be a right, such as in this case, abortion away from them, as an example, student debt forgiveness, things like that, they are going to dig in their heels, sacrifice you know, wanting to make a change for the economy or crime and law and order in order to preserve what they have in place already, something that single issue. And I believe that happened across a couple of these voting demographics, a couple of these voting cohorts that they might've been, Oh man, I'm going to vote Republican this time because I don't like how the Democrats are doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, wait, but the Republican Party wants to take this away from me? No, no, no. This is more important to me. I will sacrifice X, Y, and Z in order to preserve A. And then I believe that is how one of the ways in which the Republican Party lost so many of not only these Gen Z voters, which, but also um, that would get into older millennials and then even the very young Gen Xers when you look at the single women between 20 years old and 45 years old. I think that's one of the things that happened. They saw a threat that something was going to be taken away, i.e. abortion, and they decided to sacrifice the other issues that they might have felt a Republican could do better with in order to preserve something that they cherish, that single issue. And that needs to be avoided. That needs to be understood by the Republican Party and then try to avoid that wherever possible. And again, I think you can avoid that. You can dance around it. If you offer these solutions 
oriented messaging, be a solutions oriented party and sprinkle in the gray instead of just being black and white. So the 2020, so the 2022 midterms get a little tongue tied there are in the books. Well, actually, I guess there's maybe a couple more seats left to be decided, but finally a week later, the 2022 midterms are in the books. And now the focus flips to 2024. There's been talks for the Republican Party being leadership changes within the Senate, potentially leadership changes within um, the House, leadership changes potentially at the RNC, Ronna McDaniel. Should she be challenged as a leadership? Should Trump run all of these things? So 2022, put it in the rearview mirror, learn from it, but now the focus has to move to 2024. How can the Republicans build upon the seats that they did gain at the state level and federal level and grow that in 2024 and ultimately taking the presidency away from Joe Biden and and Kamala Harris and putting in a Republican in 2024? How can that be accomplished? That needs to be the focus now. And Gen Z needs to be a big part of that. Sure, they were only... 10% 10% of the vote in 2020. But again, they are growing because the baby boomers are phasing out. Gen Z is having more, more of them are coming of age, voting age, 18 years old, moving from 2020 to 2022 to 2024 it is continuing to grow. It needs to be a focus of the Republican party. And there needs to be an understanding of how the Republican party can invite more people in without expanding the tent too much. You don't want to sacrifice your principles, your values, but you want to be able to find ways to invite more people into your tent to grow the Republican Party, to make more changes, to take more seats, and ultimately the presidency in 2024. Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube. And engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counterthought CEO or on Facebook at counterthought podcast.